Hey everybody, so glad to see you this morning. And let me introduce myself. My name is Dave Ballard. I am the director of students here at Sojourn. And um, man, it's good to worship with you guys. So thanks for showing up this morning. If you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. In the chair back pocket in front of you, there's a connect card. If you would take a minute to just fill that out. We'd love to get to know you, and you can drop it off at the welcome desk um, up by the front entrance. Some highlights from our week. We had a really cool event um, this weekend for our Encore group. They walked Boardman Lake, which is like a newly finished trail uh, around Boardman Lake, uh, and then ate at the filling station, which I can personally attest are some good eats. So uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. We also have some cool events coming up. Sojourn Kids and Sojourn Students are having a party. Um, it's going to be after service on August 28th. Now, you'll notice that there's a new time. And that's because on August 21st, that's next Sunday, August 28th, and September 4th, we're only gonna be having one service at 10 a.m. So, um, something like this that was on August 28th, sorry, the last slide, um, it will just be after that service. So come and hang out and have a party uh, on August 28th. Like I said, we're having one, services, one service for our next three Sundays, and September 4th is gonna be an outside service. That's Labor Day weekend. Um, there will be no um, kids' church, no Sojourn Kids, so just bring your kids outside. There'll be an activity and a snack for them um, to come worship outside. And this week, we're only able to offer toddler and nursery for Sojourn Kids. Um, we do need more volunteers, so if you would love to come out, come and hang out with kids on Sunday morning, please visit our welcome desk, or there's actually an easier way. There's a QR code in your bulletin. You can just scan that with your smartphone and sign up. Um, there's a number of areas that we have to serve, whether it be kids or the worship team. If you play an instrument, we would love for you to serve on our worship team. That would be fantastic. We have the pleasure of hearing from um, a guest speaker this morning, Mark Heron. He has served in pastoral ministry for over 20 years and is currently the lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Carroll, Michigan. He's married to his wife, Amanda, and they have four children, Paige, Luke, Joanna, and Owen. And he just so happens to be the brother of our very own Matt Heron. Before we hear from Mark and he opens the word for us, we are going to um, do our scripture reading from Genesis 32 verses 22 through 32, and C.O. Gerlach is going to be reading for us. In honor of God's word, please stand. Thank you. Listen as I read. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place 
Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, my name is Mark, as has already been mentioned, and uh, thank you for the invitation, Matt. Thank you for um, having me back. It's been a couple years. Some of you who've been here for uh, a few years may uh, may know me, but uh, it's been a few years since I've been here, and glad uh, glad to be back uh, with you. Glad to see um, nieces and. Uh, Kim and uh, their new dog. Well, I wasn't really glad to see the dog. I was glad to see the family and uh, not, not such a dog person, but um, glad to see everyone else. And uh, certainly glad to open the word uh, with you this morning. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I thought it would be fun to uh, join the wrestling team. <clears throat> I was wrong about that. Um, it, it, it may surprise you uh, to learn that I'm not a very good wrestler. Not sure if that surprises anyone, but um, uh, my dad, though, likes to say that I had a, a perfect record because I never won a match. Uh, so thanks, Dad, for that. Um, if you feel bad for me, wait, there's more. Um, my, my brother uh, is older than me, just in case that was not obvious. Um, he, he and I grew up together. Well, last time I was here, someone thought I was older than him. And so I just wanted to clear that up for, for anyone. Um, if I'm sensitive to that, uh, I'm not sure. Anyways, so when, when we grew up together, uh, we, we played a lot of games. And uh, it was certainly fun for him because he, he won all the games. Um, but there was, um, he, would, he would like to play games um, even when I didn't want to play games. And you may wonder, like, how could someone make someone else play a game that they don't want to play? You might be surprised that that can happen. Well, let me tell you how that works. So, for instance, we had uh, in our home, growing up, we had a, a living room. And in the living room, there was one doorway. And that was the only way in and out of the room, right? It was, I don't know, maybe six to eight feet wide, something uh, like that. And so, um, so Matt would um, play a game that, that uh, eventually was, was referred to as, I bet you can't get out of the living room game. <laughs> <clears throat> Where he would stand in the doorway and, well, you guessed it, not let me out of the living room. Right, and so uh, forced me to play a game that I had no, uh, no interest in, in playing. I had a, I had a great childhood. Uh, re wrestling, wrestling, though, was, was never uh, my favorite activity. It certainly was not. Uh, being wrestled, uh, being overpowered uh, by anyone, especially an older brother, uh, was not an enjoyable experience. Uh, it still would not be an enjoyable experience, but I bought a house now that has multiple exits out of the living room. <laughs> So, so no more, no more. Um, however, right, um, uh, though it's not an enjoyable experience, though it is uh, humiliating in a lot of ways, it, it is also a reminder, right, 
Um, and I was reminded of this often in my life, of my inability, of what I lack, my, my lack of, of, of strength. And, and certainly we're thinking physically here. Uh, but as humbling as that can be, we also know that before the Lord, the posture of humility, the posture of recognizing our insufficiency, the recognition of our, our own brokenness is never despised by God. In fact, it is the, the posture in which God blesses us. So as we come to Genesis chapter 32, um, we see another wrestling match. Uh, this one though is extraordinary, right? It is, it is absolutely an extraordinary story. And a story that is full of a lot of mystery and a lot of intrigue and a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainties even from the studied it. We find that it takes place one night uh, with a man, son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. We also know that he was the twin brother of a man named Esau. Earlier in the book of Genesis, we're told that there was, there was tension and that there was conflict between Jacob and Esau, and for good reason. Well, for many reasons, even going all the way back to the time that they were in the womb together, we find that there was, there was conflict. There was striving between the two brothers. We also find that, that once they were born, that the father, Isaac, favored the older brother, Esau, who was, uh, who was obviously the oldest. He was a, a skilled hunter. He was kind of a man's man. The father loved Esau, while the, the mother, Rebekah, favored Jacob. Uh, Jacob was the younger, the more domestic of the two brothers and called in chapter 25, a quiet man. We also find there was tension because Esau despised his birthright as the older brother. And Jacob, who was a bit of a schemer, took advantage of Esau and he bargained with him for a bowl of soup or a bowl of stew. So Esau would get the stew and Jacob would get the birthright. And Esau agreed to that. And even though later, even though God had, had said that the older would serve the, the younger, that was God's words to Rebekah, Isaac intended to give the blessing still to Esau, who was the older. But Rebekah overheard the plan. And Rebekah plotted to deceive her own husband in order that the younger son would receive the blessing instead of Esau. We learned that the plot worked. Right? What Rebecca had planned, what Jacob carried out, actually worked in the sense that Esau was the one who was blessed. Excuse me, Esau was not the one who was blessed, but Jacob was blessed. And Esau believed that he had been cheated by his brother again. And due to this, Esau wanted to kill his brother. He, he had been mistreated by the brother, and he wanted to kill him once again, his mother, jumps into action on behalf of Jacob and sends him away from Esau in order to preserve his life and sends him to live with her brother named Laban. Jacob eventually uh, did go to be with, uh, live with Laban, ended up marrying actually both of his daughters, fathering 12 children at this point in the story, 12, eventually it would be 13, in amassing a, a healthy flock of sheep from Laban's own herd. Very uh, crafty of him. Uh, Jacob had been on the run 
from God, right? That's what we see on the run his whole life, this, this striving, this struggling. But God was not done with him. After 20 years being gone from home, God calls Jacob back to Canaan, back to his father, Isaac. So Jacob flees Laban and is with his family, his new family, his wives, his children, you heard that read, all his livestock and his property. And off he went. But coming home, right? Coming home wasn't just coming home to Isaac, was it? It was also coming home to Esau, where once Jacob fled Esau to go to Laban, now he's leaving Laban to come back to Esau. The truth is that we can run from our sins, we can run from our problems, we can run from the things that we've done, and yet, unless we deal with them, we can never actually get away. Jacob prepared to come home, and as he prepared, he sent messengers ahead. And he, these messengers of chapter 32 are sent ahead with gifts for Esau to try to gain Esau's favor, right? He's coming back, he's trying to uh, make this entrance back into Canaan a little easier. His messengers return and find out that, uh, he finds out that Esau is coming to meet him and he's not coming alone. In fact, he's coming with 400 men on his way to meet Jacob. 400 men would be, by definition, a militia force, right? And here, Jacob learns that they're coming and interprets this as a threat. And wouldn't he? The last time he, they were together, Esau wanted to kill him. And so in fear, Jacob moves into planning, into scheming, and he divides his family into two groups. As a precautionary measure, he thinks that if one group is attacked, the other group will be preserved. This was his, his plan. And then he prayed. In chapter two, verses nine, 32, verses nine through 12, Jacob prays this prayer. And in his prayer, he's expressing his gratitude to God. He's expressing his humility. He's praying for God's deliverance. All these really good and right responses to God. And yet, right after praying, he went back to scheming. As in, cha in chapter 32, verses 13 through 21, he seeks to appease Esau. He sends him more gifts. He sends more messengers with more things to try to literally to appease him. That's what the text says. And it's interesting here how quickly we can go from honest prayer to acting in the flesh, right? From trusting God to trusting ourselves. We are much more alike to, East, to Jacob than we might want to admit. As some of the messengers came towards Esau with the gift, Jacob sent his family, his servants, and all the rest that he had across the Jabbok River, presumably to safety. But in verse 24, we find that Jacob stays at the camp. In the next verses, verses 24 through 32, give us the, <clears throat> the details of that night, the events of that night, a pivotal night that would change Jacob forever. And we can recognize here or identify five key moments that summarize this spiritual journey that Jacob undertook that night. Beginning in verse 24, where we find that Jacob was, in verse 24, left alone. 
Jacob had a, quite a family, multiple wives, many children, servants, livestock, and here we find him alone. Now, the French mathematician and religious philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Pascal lived in the 1600s. That was a few days before the incessant media that we have today, right? Before smartphones or notifications or social media or whatever else distracts our attention today. The point that we can find from Pascal's words is that distraction was a challenge then as it is today. It isn't, it isn't technology's fault that we are easily distracted. We are easily distracted. Technology only magnifies the problem, right? The problem isn't your smartphone. Your problem isn't email or social media. The problem is, is us. Right? The problem is our heart. We're, we're easily distracted. But so, so then, being alone, right? the disciplines of, of silence and solitude are vital for our spiritual growth. One writer says, solitude is the audience chamber of God. The audience chamber of God. It's when we are alone, right? when we are without distraction, when without the voices of other people, it's then, it is then when we are outside of those influences, when we have to face ourselves, when we have to face God. It is for this reason that, that many of us don't like to sit quietly in a room alone, right? We, we don't want to sit with, with ourselves. We don't want to sit with God by ourselves. Our guilty thoughts will accuse us but let me ask you, when, when was the last time you actually were alone? We live in a time where it's hard to be alone. When was the last time you actually were alone? When was the last time you were alone with God? How'd that go? What was that like? Well, Jacob here was alone. And God would use this time to get his attention and to get to his heart. Theologian A.W. Pink writes, to be left alone with God is the only true way of arriving at a just knowledge of ourselves and our ways. You want to know yourself? Get alone with God. You want to know God? Get alone with God. And as Jacob was alone, the wrestling begins. So first he is alone. Now he's going to struggle with God. The rest of verse 24 says, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now, the original reader, imagine being an original reader here. You don't, you don't know the rest of the story. Right? You're reading it for the first time. And, and the writer, the narrator says that a man wrestled with him. Who's the man? Right? That's what you would think if you're reading. Who's the man? Is it, is it Esau? Did Esau sneak up on him at night? Was it Laban come back to, to, to get him? Was it a robber? Who, who was the man? The, 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 the narrator does not immediately identify the man. Now, we could fast forward a few verses, look into chapter, or verse 30, and see that Jacob understands that he's wrestling with God. We understand this to be the pre-incarnate Christ. This is a, what is called a theophany, which, which in which God uh, comes in, in human form before, uh, before Christ has come, a, a pre-incarnate Christ. And here, 
God wrestles with Jacob. And it was an all-night struggle, we, we, we read, until the breaking of day. And who initiated this struggle? God. A man Jacob sold with him. One commentator says that it was God who was doing the wrestling. Not so much Jacob. Nevertheless, it was an all-night struggle. As some suggested, this was a vision, something that this, there's no physical here. It's actually all Jacob using a metaphor or this, this idea of, of spiritual struggle. But the whole story does not lead to that conclusion. In fact, it was both spiritual and it was both physical, physical and spiritual, as we will see. God was teaching Jacob a necessary lesson. See, all of Jacob's life could be summed up as striving, right? Striving and struggling. He struggled with his brother, as we said before, in the womb and out of the womb. He struggled with his father, Isaac. He struggled with his father-in-law, Laban. When you start to look at Jacob's life, you start to see a common denominator on all the, all the difficulties, right? All the conflicts, who, who does it include, right? Jacob seems to be the common denominator here. Jacob was trying to obtain something that he could not get on his own. He was searching, he was striving, he was struggling, he was wanting for something. And here in chapter 32, Jacob meets his match. Where he could, where he could deceive and scheme his way out of all the other issues in his life, he was not able to do that this time. And as they are, are struggling, as Jacob is wrestling with God, or God is wrestling with Jacob, we find then that God cripples Jacob. In verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip, his hip socket, and Jacob's hip, so hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Uh, Jacob was uh, persistent in the struggle. That's what the writer is, is giving to us here. If we learn anything about Jacob from the Bible, we learn that he was a determined, a hard-headed man. Now, some of us probably can relate with that, right? Wanting something our way, not being content until we get it our way, unwilling to concede, unwilling to yield ourselves to anyone. This tells us a lot about Jacob. And it demonstrates what one commentator says is that self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God at any age. Self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God at any age. And so in Jacob's striving with God, in Jacob's struggling, what does God do? He touches the hip socket. He renders Jacob powerless. We find that that Verse 25 says that the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. Now, some take that to mean that the man could not prevail over Jacob. I don't think that's what is being communicated there. God clearly could have overpowered Jacob as with a touch, he puts his hip out of joint. Rendering him helpless, that's the point here. God was showing patience. He was showing restraint to get Jacob to a place of dependence. And Jacob wouldn't go easily, so God did something to help him. He rendered him helpless. Now, maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you know what it's like to be helpless. For a lot of my life, while I could do things for myself, in the spring of 2021, while I was roller skating, 
I fell and broke my femur on my left hip. Uh, in a moment, in a moment, I was helpless. Could not move my leg. Could not do anything. I required surgery. There's a rod now that runs from my hip to my knee. I have screws, and a couple uh, clamps. Spent four days in the hospital, nearly three months on crutches, weeks of physical therapy before I could walk on my own. Now, thankfully, I'm able to walk now. Mine isn't a sad, sad story. But the point is this, is that in a moment, I was helpless. Could not do for myself. My wife and family had to bring dinner to me. They had to help me get out of the chair. They had to help me with everything, everything for, for weeks. Like me laying on the floor of the roller rink, here Jacob was crippled, left without strength. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer says, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. As you know, I'm no wrestler, but, but legs are important. And without your legs, you're, you're in trouble. And here, God takes Jacob's leg from him, takes the strength out of it. And God was revealing to Jacob where true strength comes from. At this point, Jacob was no longer wrestling as much as holding on. And though crippled, he is clinging to God. That's what we see in the next verses. Look at verse 26. That's the and then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. That's the man, the pre-incarnate Christ. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So as the day was breaking, that the man told Jacob to let him go. And the reason that he told him to let him go, later in the Bible, we find that no one could see God and live. So the man is, is trying to save Jacob from death. But Jacob holds on. He holds on in desperation and independence. There's an old hymn by Charles Wesley called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And one of the lyrics there says, Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. That's Jacob, isn't it? Other refuge I have none. I have no, no, other, no, no other hope right now. I have nothing else but to cling, but to hang on you. Jacob held on for what he sought through his whole life. And what was that? The blessing of God. That's what he sought his whole life. He sought it from his dad, he sought it from his brother, sought it from his uncle, sought it through his marriage. And now here, he's seeking it in the right place. But the pathway to blessing is through dependence, something that Jacob was learning, coming to understand, but also through confession. One writer says, before a blessing, we must admit who we are. We must admit who we are. Look at verse 27. And he, the pre-incarnate Christ, said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. If you remember the story of Jacob, the last time Jacob was asked his name was by his father. And he lied. Right? He deceived his father and said that he was Esau, not Jacob. Now God is asking him his, his name. He's not asking to, to get information. He isn't asking to identify him. God knows who he is. Why is he asking? He's asking for Jacob to identify himself. For Jacob to confess who he really is. 
in the Old Testament, names were linked to the nature of a person or to their character. Jacob's name means heel grabber or deceiver or subplanter. And so here we, we look at Jacob's life and say, he lived up to his name. He, he lived that way his whole life. And now, here, asked to confess his own name, he was asked to confess his life of deception and scheming. And he did so. He said, Jacob. And by doing that, he's putting himself in the right place to receive from the Lord that which he wanted, a blessing. Look at verse 28 and 29. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. God does not bless in spite of our brokenness, but because of our brokenness. God actually breaks in order to bless. Pastor Adrian Rogers has said this, men throw broken things away, but God never uses anything until he breaks it first. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end of our striving, the end of our earning, the end of our strength, and we recognize our own weakness, our inability, our helplessness, our brokenness, it is then when we are in the best place to receive from the Lord. As your pastor often says, all you need is need. And here Jacob is coming to it, finally seeing his own need. And upon his confession, God blesses him and he gives him a new name which indicates a new beginning. Jacob did not prevail by his own strength, not by scheming, but rather through weakness. Jacob endured, he, he won, you could say, through yielding himself to God. No longer Jacob, now Israel. Now there's some dispute on what this word means, right? There's some, maybe you have a footnote there, they give you two options, and there's others who think there's more. One writer suggests that to be called Israel meant to be a God-mastered man. And certainly Jacob was that. At last, in brokenness, the blessing that Jacob sought and struggled for, he finally received. Now, we may not know all that Jacob understood about that night. Right? We're getting the, this side of the story, right, after it all happened. What Jacob understood in those hours about who he was wrestling with, about what was actually happening, we, we don't quite know. But verse 30 seems to indicate that Jacob knew something. He knew who the man was. Look at verse 30. So Jacob called the place, the name of that place, uh, Peniel, saying, for I've seen, the, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered, or my life has been saved, or my life has been spared, spared from God, spared by God. Right? Having struggled with God, having received a blessing and a victory by faith, Jacob had no need to fear anyone else, right? Now he, now he knew he was accepted by God. Now he knew the blessing of God. He had no need to fear his brother or anyone else. See, a right fear of God replaces and overcomes our fear of man. Some of us may deal with the fear of man. Jacob dealt with fear of man. How can we overcome a fear of man? Fear God. 
Uh, a right fear of God replaces and overcomes our fear of man. God had heard his prayer and he had blessed him. The scene ends here as the sun, sun rises. Look at verse 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh for, uh, that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. At the new day dawned, with a new name, Israel had a new walk. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was once asked, what does a person look like who has truly met with God? He referred to this passage and said, he walks with a limp. He walks with a limp. Meeting God, meeting God changes us. How could it not change us? Of course it changes us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. The New American Standard says, leaning over the head of his staff. What's the point? The rest of his life, he walked with a limp. He was changed forever. The limp was a constant reminder of his meeting with God, a constant reminder of his weakness, a constant reminder of the source of any strength. You see, God brought crisis into Jacob's life to teach him his inability, to teach him his need for strength and blessing that God provides only through weakness. Jacob had been prevented here from entering the promised land on his way home. He was prevented from coming into Canaan until he underwent a radical change. A radical change from, from self-sufficiency to reliance upon God. J.A. Packard writes this, God uses chronic pain and weakness along with other afflictions as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away, end quote. David, excuse me, Jacob learned to lean. He learned to lean. God brought crisis into his life in order to teach him to lean, in order to teach him his insufficiency. And the great question for us as we consider this text is have we learned to lean? Have you learned to lean? Or are you still striving? Are you striving on your own strength? Are you striving for the blessing of God, for the approval of God? Are you doing it through, through any means necessary? Are you doing it through relationships? Are you doing it through your business? Are you doing it through money in order to try to achieve something that you can only achieve through weakness, through brokenness, through, through coming to God in dependence and confession? You see, God comes to us, he changes us for our good and for his glory. The story of God coming to Jacob to bless him points to another time into an even greater story when God came again to bless. Timothy Keller writes, in the darkness, Jacob, in the darkness with Jacob, God feigned weakness in order to save Jacob's life. 
But in the darkness of Calvary, the Lord appeared as a man and became truly weak to save us. Jacob held on in obedience at the risk of his life in order to gain a blessing for himself. But when facing the cross, though he could have turned aside, God, Jesus, held on at the cost of his life in order to gain a blessing, not for himself, but for us. As we come to the table this morning, we see again the one who came for us, the one who in his body, in his blood, took on himself the wrath of God that we deserved so that we might receive the blessing of God. And so if you have experienced the blessing of God, if you know the salvation that only comes through Christ, then we invite you in just a moment to, to in and to participate in the remembrance of his death on our behalf. But if you have never trusted Christ, if this morning you are living in, in unrepentant sin, then we invite you before receiving these symbols, or these elements, to go to Christ and receive from him the forgiveness that he offers. To come to him in repentance and in faith. In just a few moments, there's going to be a couple prayers on the, the screen. They're in the bulletin that you received as you came in that could be a helpful guide for you as you pray. At this time, there's gonna be a few minutes of, of music. And then when you're ready to receive communion this morning, we invite you to come down the center aisle and then return on the outside aisles. Would the servers please come at this time as I pray. Father, we recognize this morning that like Jacob, we have tried and tried and tried in our own strength to find the very things that we were seeking or looking for or longing for, striving in our own, in our own power. Yet Father, we recognize this morning that the only way to receive from you what we so desperately need is by coming in dependence, recognizing our brokenness, our sin, our failure, coming to you in repentance and faith, receiving from you through your son the blessing that we so long for. We're so thankful this morning, Bus, that Christ has come, that Christ has come to offer to us the blessing that we so so need, that each one of us need this morning. Don't know what the troubles are, I don't know what the strivings are for each one this morning, but you do. And so, Father, would you meet us today? We may not be alone in this room this morning, but we are with you, and you are with us. And as we sit here in the quiet, would you meet with us? Would you help us to see how we have tried it failed how Christ is the victory that we need. And would you help us to come to you in dependence? Would you help us to lead this morning? Let me pray this in Jesus' name.